0: Good morning, Lake Avenue Church family members. (laughs) Perhaps we can begin together as a family in Jesus Christ by hearing something from our Father's Word. I'd like you to turn to John chapter 13. This will be the the beginning of the farewell discourse. Jesus gathering his twelve apostles and giving them the most important things they need to know. Just before he goes to the cross, we'll be looking at just parts of it. John chapter 13. Let's stand as we hear the word of the Lord, mostly the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 13, beginning with verse 33. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, I tell you now. Where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this we'll all know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. A little bit later in John chapter 14, another theme that will come through repeatedly is the gift of. Of the Spirit of God. Verse 15 of chapter 14. If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. And then, after that farewell discourse is over, Jesus engages in a longer period of prayer. And just before he's arrested, he prays in John chapter 17. And the last part of that prayer begins in verse 20. My prayer is not for them, for the 12 apostles alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them, That you have loved them even as you have loved me. And let's remember, this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, this weekend, we begin together. No longer... Candidate To become senior pastor that you're going to vote in on after this sermon is over. I can say whatever I want. <laughs> well, no, no, I can't. I'm constrained, but by someone else, you see, no, no longer the pastor to be or the pastor designate or the pastor elect. But here I come simply as a family member with you at Lake Avenue Church. And I'll tell you, Chris and I are so thankful and we are so thrilled to be here. We are so thrilled. We look forward to what God would do. You know, I have received so many uh, cards and letters and emails, not only from you, but from uh, fellow Christians all over the world. And almost all of them have one thing. In fact, I think all of them have, have one kind of a phrase in them. And it's this. Greg, we want you and the people at Lake Avenue Church to know that we're praying for you. I, I've thought about that. There might be a stinger in that one. <laughs> Why do they feel that we need that prayer so desperately? Do you think they're worried about whether we're going to survive one another? Well, what do you think? Then I'll just let you know the way my brain thinks. Um, I began thinking, well, I wonder if they really are praying. And, and what are they praying for us? And then I keep thinking, what should they be praying for us? And then, of course, I start thinking, remember those old bracelets that we have, the WWJD? What would Jesus do? If Jesus were the one leading us in prayer this morning, and he were to pray one thing for us at Lake Avenue Church on this particular Sunday morning, what would that one thing be that Jesus would pray for? Do you think he would pray for the growth of this church? That it would be such an exciting place that people from all over the Pasadena area would come into this church and that this large sanctuary wouldn't be big enough to, to hold all the people who are coming into this place. Do you think he'd pray for that? Or maybe it would have something to do with money. Do you think he'd pray about that? that we'd be able to get new carpet or, or have enough to be able to, uh, to meet the needs of the people in this community which we are going to find, will be so great? Or do you think it would be more something about miracles? That this place would be filled with a sense of the presence of God. That we would see the presence and power of God in ways that we have never seen it before. Do you think he'd pray for those things? Well, I think he might pray for any or all of those things, but I'm quite sure of this. If Jesus were going to pray for only one thing, we already know what it would be. Because the word of God has told us it's told us and that is the word that is recorded there in John chapter 17. Jesus praying just before he goes to the cross in chapter 18. He's going to be arrested, betrayed and then put on the cross. Jesus knowing that this is going to happen and here we find him praying. Do you have your Bible? If not, you'll just have to kind of follow with me. This is a longer prayer beginning in chapter 17, verse one. Three parts of it. Part 1, verses 1 through 5. Jesus prays about his own relationship to the Father. He is going to go through a tough time of bearing the sins of the world. And he prays about that. Verses 6 to 19. He prays for his 12 apostles. He knows they're going to have a tough time when he leaves. And he prays for them for their faith. He prays for their faithfulness. But then in verse 20, the prayer changes. I want you to look at it. My prayer is not for them alone. It's not just for the 12. Father, I before I go to the cross, I'm going to pray for all of those people who will believe in me through their message. Uh, do you see this? Jesus on the other side of the cross, knowing that his message was going to reach out to all people groups before he would come back again. He had said that repeatedly thinking about all of those people who would believe and praying one thing just before he's arrested. Well, what does he pray for? What does he pray for? It's remarkable that all of them may be one. All right, we're beginning together. And this is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't belong to you, and it doesn't belong to me. It is his church for which he gave his life. And here we get this incredible insight into the priorities and heart of Jesus Christ. What is the most important thing to him for us? And here we find it. That all of them may be one. Don't you think this is something that as we begin together, we need to think about and hear his voice and hear his heart. And that's what I want to do. Uh, It's going to be very simple. I'm going to ask just three questions about this prayer. First question is this, who is included in this all of them with whom must I be one and the implication whom must I love who is in this all of them sounds kind of frightening this this all of them. That We are brought into a family with we often think about, especially in our individualistic American society, my own relationship with God. okay, we'll enter into a relationship with God through Jesus. But here he is going to tell us that we don't have the option just to be in relationship with him. We are brought into this body. And and we are going to become a part of this, all of them. Now, I want you to know, in case you think this is going to be an easy thing, that, that this has been a battle. To actually accept this word of Jesus, and it's been a battle from the beginning on. It was a revolutionary thought for these early believers. You see, early on in the first century, they already had pretty clear notions about the people that they could identify with. And a pretty clear idea about whom they, they had to love. Uh, people like themselves. Yeah, Jews were to love Jews the rabbis had talked about this. They had said love one another, but they meant Jews. You love Jews, but also they did what 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 all human beings do when the Jewish people got together. They they decided that there are some of these people I love more than others. So, so they divided themselves up more Pharisees loved Pharisees and Sadducees loved Sadducees. And and so it was a pretty small group. And it wasn't just the Jewish people. If you read first century literature, the Greeks and, and the Romans, they had those same kinds of problems. Now here comes Jesus, commanding that we love one another and praying that all of those people on the other side of the cross would be one. And again, who's in the all of them? Well, I've already been writing about this. Those of you who have been getting letters and different kinds of things, but I'll, I'll just say it again as we gather here for this first time. On one side, there is a breadth to this all of them, And on the other side, I'm going to call it a depth to this all of them. The the breadth of this all of them meant that Jesus' message, his, his good news, was going to reach beyond the Jewish people and reach to all people groups. The all of them included all of those people for whom Christ died. All of those human beings made in the image of God, who did not know God, for whom Christ gave his life. The all of them includes potentially every human being who crosses your path. You have new eyes to see them. They can become a part of the family through faith in Jesus. And this morning I simply want to tell you that all of them certainly includes all of us who have gathered here and claim that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. The all of them was to include a group so broad that people found it almost impossible to imagine it. And actually, the New Testament, we would almost not have a New Testament except that they found it hard to believe that they really had to love all of them. The battles that they had for Jew and Gentile uh, to love one another uh, meant that many letters had to be written so that they would actually believe that what Jesus prayed about was what was supposed to happen. This all of them was to include uh, uh, white and black and young and old and educated and uneducated and people from from the continent of Africa and the continent of Asia and, and Latin America and South America and the United kind of the the people that I see all over Pasadena. I've already written about this. I love this place. Thank you for inviting me to come. Have you ever walked around the old town in the evening? I'm going to become a chamber of commerce type person. I love this place. What a dynamic, what a dynamic area this is. I have never seen an area that has more all-of-them's than this area has. <laughs> it's, it's a remarkable place, don't you think so? I, I love it. Again, thank you for inviting me to come and be a part of you and a part of this community. But I want you to know that when Jesus prayed, he was thinking about all of them. Even those that we feel a little bit uncomfortable encountering that all of them have the opportunity to be in this one body. And that's what he was praying for, that we would be one. There is a a breadth to this thing where the walls that separate people from people are down and we can demonstrate to this divided world the unity of the body of Christ, what God has done that nobody else can do. There is also, I just want you to be with, you're with me here, aren't you, this morning? There's not only this breadth in embracing all people groups, there's also, I think, a depth. You know, we're not the first ones to hear the gospel here at Lake Avenue Church. Did you know that? This church has been going on for 2,000 years. And, and, and what does it mean for us to be one with all of them? Well, one of the things I've been thinking about, and I've appreciated the, the worship service so much, I have John sitting right in front of me, as, as he talked about the ancient words and those who have gone on before us, who have met Jesus, who have been thrilled by what he has done, who, who have written, who have written about their encounters with him, I have grown to appreciate and learn so much about simply reading those who have gone on before me and have expressed their love of Jesus and recognize there's a family member I'm going to spend eternity with. I've wondered what that might look like in the worship service here at Lake Avenue Church if we appreciate the depth of this all of them. I have a feeling that the worship service is a place where we can sort of demonstrate that. Have you ever thought that that maybe even those of us who consider ourselves to be more progressive believers or younger believers might actually go to appreciate the music that has come forth from those who have gone on before us? Is it possible that a person from West Virginia, you know, where classical music is sort of the center of them, (laughs) grew up with bluegrass, could come into a church... And appreciate that Johann Sebastian Bach was a brother in Christ, gifted by the Lord, who wrote to the glory of God and rejoice as I hear his music. Is that possible? Is it possible that we could hear some of these great hymns of the faith expressed a little bit differently from the way we write now? But as we read them, we know that those people knew the Lord. And as we sing those songs, they may not be the style that we're used to, that we might go to a concert to on Friday night. But we know we are singing with our brothers and sisters. And for those of you who love those old hymns, now I'll go to Medlin on a a more traditional service. Is it possible that after we've sung one of those hymns, that that our Lord might be continuing to do a work now among the lives of people? And that when the Spirit of God is at work, one of the things that happens is we have to sing new songs of praise, sing a new song to the Lord. And it might be in a style that we don't like. Hip-hop, reggae. And is it possible that as we gather, we can both demonstrate and appreciate the depth of the family of God as we find ways to get our voices and hearts together in praise to Him? Who is included in this? All of them. It's an amazingly diverse family. It's a wonderful thing that when the world sees it, they say God must be in that place. This is what Jesus saw before he went to the cross he was looking at a family that would extend as far as California in 2007 it's a miracle it's why he went to the cross to offer you individually the opportunity to know God but to bring you into this one body this is what the apostle Paul saw on the road to Damascus and that set his heart on fire Gave him something worth living for, made him willing to leave his comfort zone to go out to declare and live that good news in the world. I'll just tell you, I think I've shared this with you. It's what I saw when I was writing my dissertation at Cambridge University in England. I saw that he had brought me together into this global family like nothing else in this world, and that the centerpiece of God doing his work is a church like this one. It's just being reminded of it that's brought me back here this morning the privilege of being again in the local church. And as we gather, may we hear our Lord praying for us. Father, I pray that all of them may be one. Time goes by quickly, but the second question is also very important. If we're actually going to be one, what's it going to look like? What is that going to look like here at Lake Avenue Church? And there's this phrase that is... It's just remarkable. Father, I want them to be one, just as you are in me, and I am in you. And then he repeats something very similar to that. May they be in us, so that the world may believe. Oh my, do you, do you fully understand this? How it is that the Father is in the Son, and the Father and Son are one? And Jesus earlier on in his farewell discourse had said, well, after I go, I'll send someone else like me. He's not me, but like me, another one to be in you and be with you forever. So here we have God, one God forever existing as three persons because God is always loved. And so love requires relationship. So God has always existed in relationship. But but one God, do you you fully understand that when I started out as a pastor? I had the children's pastor come to me and say, Pastor, will you come to the children and explain to them the doctrine of the Trinity <laughs> in simple terms? <laughs> I, said, oh. I tried if, if the children, if Tim Scheidler and Carol Kewitt asked me to do this, I'm going to turn around and go the other other way, because isn't there mystery in this? God goes beyond our understanding. That should not surprise us. But this is the way God has revealed himself to be. This is the way God is. Now, when it comes to the way that we are to be one, it's always going to have something mysterious about it. Going beyond human understanding. Because it is the work of God. Those of us who have walked with God for a long time, we've experienced it. First time that I really remember, it was 1973. I went to Japan I met a brother in Christ. He didn't have any other Christians in his family. And the, at the end of the time, he said, Greg, and though he was two generations beyond me, he said, Greg, I feel closer to you than I do to members in my own family. How could that be? We hardly could communicate. You, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? The, the oneness that the Christians experience with one another because we belong to the Lord and to this family. Some of those of you who've gone to Katrina, you, know, you experience that. And I'll tell you, whenever you come into a body of believers that has actually obeyed this command and heard the prayer of our Lord, there is something mysterious that should be happening, that when people come in, they say, I don't know what's happening in that place, but God must be at work. Uh, you know, I'm not the only pastor beginning this week. Uh, pastor Milton Chen is beginning as junior high pastor. He, he shared his testimony with us Wednesday. And he talked about how God had rescued him out of a very, very difficult background. And it sort of began when he went into a church group just like this one. And he said, I, I went into there and i would never seen anything like that. These, these people loved one another. And I thought, what kind of a group have I gotten into? Is this a bunch of hippies? I wonder if anybody would think that about us this, this more. I doubt it. I, I, that, maybe, though, by the way we treat one another, the people will come in and experience something different. The people of God loving one another. And know that God is in this place. So there's something mysterious. But perhaps I can also, as a pastor to you, let you know that the context of Jesus' prayer lets us know a few of the things that I think have to be a part of our oneness. Uh, We'll put them up here. I'll just show it to you. The unity that I pray will exist here at Lake Avenue Church will be made up of at least these things. It's more than these, but at least these. We are going to be tied together by a unity of faith. And that faith is going to be invested in Jesus Christ. I pray for those who will believe in me through their message. Those who believe in the Son have eternal life. Those who do not believe are condemned already. It's the beautiful thing that the opportunity to be in this all of them is available to all who believe. But The part that is hard for our world is that it is exclusive for those who trust in Jesus. So the unity that's going to hold us together is that we will be followers of Jesus And call others to do the same. It's a unity of faith invested in Jesus Christ. Second, it also has to be a unity of practical love. When did Jesus pray this? What was he about to do? I've already told you. He was about to give his life for us. The greatest act of real love in history. Uh, Jesus earlier on had prayed, had commanded, uh, A new commandment I give to you. You love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. He said it was a new command. But the rabbis had talked about loving one another before. What was new about it? Well, one of the parts was the breadth of those people we have to love. But one of the other parts is just this. What God's love actually is. And he would define it later. Jesus would say, Greater love has no man than this, than that, he lay down his life for his friend. In other words, the love that God calls us to in a church is self-sacrificial giving. That we have eyes to see the needs of the all of them. And we come to church ready to extend ourselves lovingly to all of them. So the Lake Avenue Church, if it's going to become this kind of a church, is not going to be a place where I come into church and say, well, I wonder if I, I like that service this morning. Did I get anything out of it? It will be a place where all of us come with eyes open and a readiness with our hearts to extend God's love to one another. See, that's a part of what has to hold us together. We're not looking out for ourselves. We're wanting to show His love to others. A unity of faith in Jesus, a unity of practical love like that of Jesus, a unity of mission that Jesus gave His life for this mission that we could be in the family of God, and we have been given this responsibility both to proclaim and to live that message and that mission. And when we do it, when we leave this church and we want to tell people about Jesus and show the love of Jesus to those who are hurting or suffering injustice, we, we don't have any energy left to fight one another. In fact, you know what's going to happen when we come to church? We're going to take a deep breath and say, isn't it wonderful to simply be with others who love the Lord? And when we sing, we will sing together. Because there's a unity of mission that ties us together and makes it so that we want to bring this message of the gospel to this community and to this world, right? Fourth, I think there's a unity of holiness. Uh, New time church type people. You may not know that word well. It simply means separate from, different from. Uh, When we follow Jesus, our lives will be different from the way they used to be. We, we used to just live for ourselves, right? Just live for ourselves. Live any way we want. We were destroying our own lives, and then we give our lives to Jesus. Jesus was giving his life for those very sins. So that when we come to him knowing our lives aren't in order, he'll take them and cast them as far as east is from the west. But then when we give our lives to him, we must be committed to living the kind of lives that he would have us to live. The unity can't be made up of people who continue to insist upon living lifestyles that are the opposite of what Jesus would ask for. Who absolutely reject his word and his ways. It is made up of people who are committed to growing with one another and becoming more of what he would have us to be. Now, I want you to know this holiness. None of us have arrived yet. So we're brought together. So that we can pray for one another, so we can help one another, so that we can extend the grace of God to one another. But we are a unity formed by this, that we are going to pursue becoming Christ-like people with one another. Right? Few amens, few amens, but I hope a few of you think so. Finally, I think there is also a unity of the message that holds us together. I pray for them who will believe in me through the message Now, again, you have to listen very carefully. Christianity is truly an experience with God, but there's also a body of truth that must be embraced. Jesus said, I am the truth. Now, one of the difficulties is this unity of the message has often divided people instead of uniting people. There are people who feel like I know every possible aspect of the truth about God imaginable. And if other people don't agree with me with every possible little point, they're probably not in the family. That cannot be what Jesus is talking about here. What I think it is, is that we are going to become people together who pursue the truth of God as it is revealed in his word. Jesus himself said, I am the truth. He said, the spirit is the spirit of truth who will guide you into truth. And those of us who are followers of Jesus are going to be people who open up this word in which that truth has been put into word and learn what he has had to say. We are going to be unified by being seekers of the truth of God. That truth encapsulated in this wonderful word, gospel. The gospel of who God is, who Jesus is, what he's done for us, and what he will continue to do if we let him. Oh, there's so much more I want to say about this, but we don't have time. But we will, because this isn't my last Sunday here. But brothers and sisters, I want you to see that the kind of unity that I pray will be true here at Lake Avenue Church will embody all of these. Faith in Jesus, the practical love that shows to one another and to this world what Jesus is like. Engagement in his mission to proclaim and to live his good news throughout this world. A commitment to growing, to become what God would have us to be together And a commitment to learning what He has revealed about Himself and about us and about this world until we are complete in Christ. That's the kind of unity that I pray will exist at this church to His glory. Finally, Third question. All right. If this prayer is answered, Jesus was praying a prayer. If this prayer is answered, what impact is it going to have in this world? And that is said... Two times by Jesus in this short prayer. Father, I pray that they will be one so that the world, seeing this place, may believe that you have sent me. Father, I pray that they will be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you have sent me. Now, here's what happens. You come into a place like this and you hear the message of Jesus that God knows you as you are and loves you anyway. Isn't that true? That He's ready to show mercy to you and you know you need it. You need some mercy. You need some forgiveness and you bring it to him and and he by his grace says i've known what you've done but i love you Uh, i'll receive you and bring you into my family and you're so overjoyed that you simply have to let other people know about this you know people who first experience this we're so excited aren't we that we just have to tell other people the most enthusiastic witnesses are almost always new believers those of us who are old-time believers do you think we can ever recapture that, that, that enthusiasm and passion and gratitude for what God has done. Because this is the way that this message has made it all the way here to California. It started this way. These twelve, well, eleven of them, because one betrayed him, eleven of them experienced the love of Jesus. They failed, and he welcomed them back anyway. And they went out and told people about what he'd done, and some believed. And, and they formed into fellowship bodies like this. They began loving one another and helping one another. Others saw it in the community, and they came in, and the church grew, and they sent out other people. They went from Jerusalem to to Antioch to to Ephesus, and it went on for century after century. The same thing happening, people going out who'd experienced the love and the grace of God, uh, telling that Jesus had done it. Some believed they come together into families just like this one. They love one another. The world sees it. They come to believe the church grows. They send out other people. And it goes on and on and on for century after century after century in what I call ever-growing concentric circles. Can I still use language like that, though? I'm out of the university. (laughs) Until, amazingly, one day, somebody brings this message to 393 North Lake Avenue in Pasadena, California. And this body has been formed. And the baton has been passed on to us. But for us to be fully used by God, we must love one another. Jesus knew how important this would be. He knew that nothing would further the mission of God more fully than this, all of them, people of God, being one, that the world would see it and believe. Do you think the flip side of that is true? I think so, that nothing will do more damage to the work of God than for those who identify themselves as followers of Jesus to fail to love and fail to respect other people who are in the family. Jesus knew how important this would be. That's why we find him praying this prayer. I think he also knew how hard it would be. Isn't it hard sometimes to just love people like yourself? Maybe you're a whole lot better person than I am. It is hard. And yet we have this all of them that we've been brought into one family with. He knew how hard it would be. And it has been hard. It was hard in the New Testament days. It was hard all through church history. We shouldn't expect it to be easy now. We have struggles with this now. We should simply know that's the way it is. But God is with us and he is sufficient for us. He knew how hard it would be. And that's why before he went to the cross to die so that we could be brought into this one family, we find him praying. Father, my prayer for them who will believe in me is that all of them will be one. My time is gone. And I've thought so many times and prayed so much about what what I want to leave you with this morning. I want to leave you with one verse and one word. One verse that I cannot get off my mind. It's from the book of Philippians, a church that was having a hard time getting along. And this is what Paul would write In humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but look to the interests of others. What would happen if we as a church would commit ourselves actually to obeying what the Bible tells us to do? What would happen if in our Sunday school classes or in our various services or various ministries... People would come and they, they're unhappy with what somebody over there is doing, but they say, here's what I have to do in humility because I, I don't deserve to be in this family anyway, but God's brought me in by his mercy, so in humility, I'm going to consider others better than myself. I was showing this to Zach Johnson, one of our IT guys. He's so creative, he helped me out with the slides that are there, and I said, Zach, what would happen in this church if the senior pastor actually obeyed this command? That I don't think about this as my church, but considered others greater than myself. Zach said something like this. Well, I don't think I've ever seen a church like that. Uh, I don't want you to apply it to me, though. Will you just let the Spirit of God take this verse and work it in your heart? I think it would transform this place. And one word. Remember. Remember. The Bible is always doing things, telling us to remember what God has done. God has been at work in this body so much over these past several years, hasn't he? So we gather here to remember. Remember what? I want you to remember what Jesus did. He gave his life so that you and I could know God and be in this family. I never want you to forget that. Second, I want you to remember what he gave to us. He gave to us his Holy Spirit who lives within us. I want us to learn to see one another as people so worthy and so valuable that God resides within us. It'll change the way we treat one another, don't you think? I want you to remember what Jesus commanded. It's not a suggestion. A new command I give, love one another. You must love one another, he said. And if we're going to claim to be followers of Jesus, we must hear this command. And I want us to remember this morning what Jesus prayed. When you think about church and you say, I don't even want to go there. I'm so frustrated with that person over there. And if they're there, I'm going to turn around and go to the other side. When when the pastor does some things that you just don't quite understand and you say, I'm never going to go back there again. When you think that reconciliation is absolutely impossible. Will you take time to remember Jesus? Being ready to give his life for you. Praying for you and praying for us. Father, my prayer for those who will believe in me at the Lake Avenue Church is that all of them, be one, so that the world may believe to his glory. Amen. We're going to be celebrating communion this morning. Can you think of anything possible that expresses this message more fully? I'm going to use the image that Paul uses in 1 in Corinthians 10 and 11. He, he likens Jesus to a loaf of bread. And the message I want you to remember before Jesus went to the cross is that that there was this one sinless body, that of Jesus. One body, broken, so that broken people might become one body in him. One body on that cross. Broken. So that broken people... Broken from God, broken from one another, might have hope and become fully one body in Him. We're going to be receiving communion in a way that perhaps is new for some of you. We have tables all over the sanctuary. We will remember what Jesus said Remember, remember what I've done, that I gave my life for you, my body is given for you, my blood is shed for you, it is enough. I would like you to be prayerful about this. Come to the tables. Take some of the bread. Take some of the cup. Remembering the Lord Jesus. Thanking the Lord Jesus. If there are things you personally need to bring to him that the Lord has shown you this morning, take this time of prayer to bring those to him. It's the Lord's table. So anybody who knows the Lord Jesus is welcome to come. If there are sins in your life that you want to bring to him, bring them. What he has done on the cross is sufficient for them. If you have sins in your life, that as you leave this place right now, you are fully committed to continuing to engage in them, don't come. But if you are one seeking mercy and knowing that he is the one who loves you so much that he's ready to show it to you, come and receive together with the whole body to his glory. I would like to have our... uh, servers to come you'll have wonderful brothers and sisters in Christ around the table uh, and as the music is being played come receive the elements of the Lord's table let's pray as we get ready father we have heard your word and now father we want to remember in this tangible way the body given the blood shed, so that we might have hope